Welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Olivia. My name is Danny, and we are your co-hosts. And we are back for season three. Oh, I'm so excited about this season. Me too. I can't believe we've been gone for so long. I've missed it so much. We have such a good lineup for y'all. And Olivia's right. We needed this break so badly. Cannot tell you guys how much we needed this break. But we were both talking about how much we missed it. Because despite how much work this podcast is, and how much work every podcast that people put effort into is, a break is nice. But you're going to miss it if you like it. And I like Olivia and I like Taylor Swift. In fact, I love both of those things. So I'm excited to get back to talking about them. (laughs) And we've done a lot of really exciting things over our break. Like we created a website for you guys to visit, including a whole bunch of goodies regarding all of our past episodes. It'll be a great place for our current episodes. We'll have blog posts that detail like everything that went on in the episode that you may not remember so well, certain songs, breakdowns everything definitely go check it out it is taylearningpodcast.com and a couple of updates so on our surprise episode that we had a while back talking about the eras tour in the u.s we teased the idea of merch in our questionnaire and we were overwhelmed by the outpouring of support and love from y'all about merch nearly 90 percent of you said that you would buy merch most of you said you'd buy it only if it's cute which is fair but so many of you (laughs) said that you'd be interested in merch and we kind of thought at first that that was like not a joke but it was more of a there's no way our friends ask for it we want it i'd wear it (laughs) yeah but the thought that any of you out there would at all be interested in wearing our snake hand butterfly logo on an item of clothing or on a wine glass or on any other merch we might have on our website. Olivia's working diligently on that. It's just incredible. So thank you so much for that support and keep on the lookout. Oh, if it's sorry. not on our website already, it will be. And number two. So as this podcast is growing, we have made the executive decision that we are going to stop using music clips in our episode. Now we know how much you all love the music clips. We love them too, even when they take me forever and a day to insert into episodes. I think that they add an extra level of depth and understanding. But as the podcast grows, it's really important that we respect our artistic integrity from other artists, including Taylor Swift and the artists that we sample from. And we want to make sure that we are not only abiding by like general laws, but also just by respect of artists. And we want every single stream of music to end up with pennies, dollars in the pockets of the people that are responsible for that incredible body of work. So every week, we will be putting together a playlist of your tailoring homework. Ideally, it will go out before the episode goes out so you can listen to these songs and prepare yourself for the episode. But these playlists will have a full culmination of songs that we reference that are by Taylor Swift, songs we reference that are not by Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to build those out for you so that you can get an idea of those songs before we jump in and do your homework before you come to class. And these playlists will be available on Spotify. So we created a Spotify account specifically for Tay Learning. It's called Tay Learning Official Homework Playlists is the name of the account. And you'll find a playlist for every single episode that we have where we mention any songs. And the songs will be in the order that we mentioned them. So it's a great resource. Even if you don't, you know, do your tailoring homework before the episode comes out, you can still reference it after the episode. I highly encourage you to do that. I know that the music clips are so beloved and mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge factor and a big part of this podcast, but it's becoming more and more important to us with our growth that we respect artistic integrity. And Absolutely. to that point, We'll try to get it onto Apple Music. Neither of us are Apple Music users, but we will <laughs> no, try to figure it out. <laughs> but for- first and foremost, it's on Spotify. We'll see what we can do for Apple Music. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and then to kind of help, you know, flesh out the experience as much as possible on our website, tailoringpodcast.com. <laughs> we bought the domain, so we're very proud. <laughs> but on the website, under the blog post, we will reference specific timestamps if it's applicable to like the episode itself. So if we're referencing specific lines, we'll give you timestamps of everything like that too, so that you know exactly when in the song we're specifically referencing. Well, with that, welcome back to season three. We (laughs) are so excited 
about this season, like I said. We've got a really killer lineup. And to start off, we debated for a while. We went back and forth about how we wanted to open this season. And then Taylor Swift heard us in her dreams and was like, I'm going to give you content for free on a silver platter. And she decided to go ahead and announce that she was making an Eras Tour movie. Now, we have been planning for this day, if you're listening on the day this comes out, it's October 11th, 2023. We have been planning for this to be our season three premiere for months since before, like before last season before even ended. we ended yeah <laughs> yeah so when we found out that she was announcing this movie this tour movie the same week of our season three we're like bitch you got her bags <laughs> she's a tay listener <laughs> i swear to god she's a tay listener there's too much evidence bro <laughs> i would die let's be clear <laughs> <laughs> and taylor if you're listening never tell us because i don't want olivia to die so <laughs> We decided to push back the content that we were going to talk about, which we'll get into later, and go ahead and talk about Taylor Swift and the film industry and the directing industry and everything that has to do with films. And this will be a high-level bird's-eye view of Taylor Swift and films and directing because we could talk about each of these subjects for a whole episode. And hell, maybe we will. But for now, we're just going to talk you through her history because as a creative Taylor Swift is like, she's a juggernaut. She holds so many different bowls of content Mm -hmm. and they all naturally weave in between one another. It's not difficult to just sit in one silo of just be a musician or just be an actor. And there's nothing wrong with just being those things. But Taylor Swift is just this behemoth where everything folds on top of one another. And when she's writing a song, she's thinking about how she wants it portrayed if it were on stage or as a music video. And she's thinking when she's acting, oh, could there be a song written about this moment? Like her brain is spaghetti. It's all molding together. And that's what makes her so unique and what makes this conversation and this experience so unique. Before we jump into the timeline of all things Taylor Swift and films and directing, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors. And we're back. So talking about Taylor Swift and her filmography directorial timeline, we're going to do one master list here, talking through everything that has to do with Taylor and films. And we're winding it all the way back to the top, to the year 2009. 2009, Fearless had just come out the year prior, November of the year prior. And the first time we actually see her in a film debut. The 2009 concert film titled Jonas Brothers, the 3D concert experience, (laughs) where her and Joe Jonas duet, I should have said no. Okay, tell me, (laughs) Olivia, tell me and tell all the listeners if they've forgotten why that's fucking weird. This is weird, because in 2009, Joe and Taylor are already broken up. They broke up like mid-2008. If you don't know that whole story, we do have an episode detailing everything that happened between her and Joe Jonas up to the point that we recorded the episode, of course. But it details everything that happened in 2008. And it was drama-filled, messy breakup. And she put out really awful breakup songs about him. They were going back and forth via music. And she was in their concert experience film. (laughs) Which, by the way... Bombed. Let's be clear. It got like a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. It did fine at the box office. It made 20 something million, sure. But yeah. people hated it. They were like, this is awful. It shows no depth. D- don't even get us started on the messiness of Joe Jonas now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so messy that they left her in there. But whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it was an all right performance. You know, they had to ride the coattails of Fearless a little bit. I'll allow it. But only because <laughs> only because she hung up on him in the 27-second <laughs> phone call. The next film that she was in was the same year. And it was the iconic cameo in Hannah Montana, the movie. It was, Listen, this was her Disney girl era, her wannabe Disney girl era. <laughs> so, so good. And she was in the Jonas Brothers Ex-Girlfriend Club, which we, we which talk about Miley more. Cyrus was a part of. Yeah, and we talk about more in that Joe Jonas episode. But... It's so funny. When I went to go see that movie in theaters, I, it was like a jump scare. Yeah, I remember. I, I had no idea. I remember thinking like, she, I was so excited about the movie. My mom bought us tickets to the movie because she couldn't get me and Kate tickets to the Hannah Montana concert tour. I was devastated. And she got us tickets to the movie and we're sitting there and Taylor Swift pops up. And I was like, what the? F-? Debuting. Taylor- 
an original song that she wrote for the movie crazier oh god crazier is so good yeah that's what we'll do in these episodes and since we can't have music clips it's just <laughs> sing it a little ditty bit around. a little ditty hopefully it doesn't get people to drop off of the episode so <laughs> that's really fun that she pops in and does that cameo and sings crazier Another fun fact about Hannah Montana, the movie, is Taylor wrote, you'll always find your way back home for the movie as well, which Miley sings, but Taylor wrote it for the movie. You can change your hair and you can change your clothes. That song bangs too. In 2009, Taylor also had a cameo on CSI. She was in Season 9, episode 16, episode is titled Turn, 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 where she plays victim Haley Jones. She is so funny in that because she's like got her emo phase going on. Yeah. <laughs> she looks so like almost unrecognizable. In fact, yeah. if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, I'm sure that people did not recognize her. Yeah, absolutely. And she plays like a significant role in this episode. She's not just like a one scene shot and go she's an actual character in this episode so if you're swifty and you haven't seen it yet highly recommend the next year the movie valentine's day comes out and we talk a bit more about valentine's day in the muses taylor lautner valentine's day olivia has not seen valentine's day i have i went to go see it the weekend it came out like on valentine's day i think in 2010 with my sister and it was gross um it was gross because there's couples making out all around us basically but the movie's <laughs> awful it's awful and it follows a string of a bunch of different people going through different experiences and they all are tied together there was like this hype about movies doing that during that period of time like mother's day whatever it doesn't matter and taylor swift and taylor lautner they met on set of that and they have their own subplot here romantic high school subplot and First of all, I remember there being some controversy around this role. I didn't mention this in the Taylor Lautner role or episode, but there was some controversy around it because there was talk in the movie about Taylor Squared's characters losing their virginity to one another. Yeah. And that was like messy at the time because Taylor Swift was had was freshly 20, which is plenty old enough to lose your virginity if that's what you want to do. But she mm -hmm. was in her Disney Girl era still talking about swiping her V card in a movie that's in theaters. Right. She's still like curly haired Taylor. We see curly haired Taylor basically as like baby Taylor. So I'm sure it was very jarring for lots of people. She is so funny in this role. And I think that something interesting about it is that her character is remarkably cringy secondhand embarrassment cringy and i don't think that that's because of taylor swift i think that's because her character that she plays is horribly cringy yeah it's and a rock on <laughs> yeah she got pigeonholed i believe after that movie came out of people thinking that's what taylor swift really acts like when i don't think that that's true at all i think that taylor swift has always had a keen eye for acting and she realized that the best way to do her bimbo for lack of a better term role was to really lean into it that role yeah. only worked with somebody that fully believed it and she fully sells it people that think that that's what taylor swift was really like just are not using critical thinking <laughs> it's a movie <laughs> yeah but that doesn't matter if people are going to be misogynistic and hate on her they're going to be misogynistic and hate on her on the bright note though Taylor's songwriting did shine for this film. She wrote, Today was a fairy tale specifically for the movie soundtrack, and it does play during the movie, which is awesome. And then another fun fact, I didn't know this until I did research, Jump Then Fall is also on the like official soundtrack CD, basically, even though she didn't write it specifically for the movie, it was on the soundtrack. Oh, nice. In 2010, she releases her first concert film for her first tour, Journey to Fearless, which is just a, basically a documentary about the Fearless tour. And then a couple years later, in 2012, we get Taylor's debut as a voice actor rather than an on-screen actor in The Lorax. And that is The Lorax from the The Lorax Speak for the Trees and the Trees Say Go Fuck Yourself meme. And that is the movie that she was a part of. She isn't a minor role in it either. She plays Audrey, which is the love interest of one of the main characters. So she's pretty much a main character. I saw the Lorax in theaters and I didn't even realize at the time it was Taylor Swift back then. I knew I knew the voice. 
but at the time I wasn't really like obsessed with who was voice acting in movies. And I don't think that I've seen the Lorax since, but ironically she still does the dance on stage where she shakes her ass back and forth in the same way that the characters at the end of the Lorax do. And so when people edit that video of her dancing to that Lorax song, the it's so funny. I don't yeah, know if you've seen that. The Lorax. No, and I haven't seen those memes either. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, then half of our listeners know what I'm talking about, and half are like, Danny's <laughs> on something. <laughs> I'm going to send you a TikTok about it. Don't worry. Okay, 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 please. <laughs> also in 2012, The Hunger Games comes out. Taylor wasn't in The Hunger Games, unfortunately. Sad tear. But she did write two songs for The Hunger Games soundtrack. She wrote Safe and Sound and Eyes Open. I think that Safe and Sound is probably her best of her soundtrack, like written songs that she's made for a soundtrack. I think Safe and Sound is just chef's freaking kiss. I'm so glad she did a Taylor's version of it. It is so good. I was obsessed with Safe and Sound. Obsessed with it. I remember watching the music video 100 times over, and it's not even an interesting music video. Her voice is beautiful in it, too. Just unreal. So then we go to 2013, and in scripted television, there is the show New Girl. And New Girl is great. And season two, episode 25, titled Elaine's Big Day, was released. And in this episode, Taylor Swift plays a very brief role of her speaking now, where she stands up at a wedding and proclaims her love for the groom. And the groom and her run away. And it's excellent. It's so funny. It's so brief. And she seems to really enjoy it. That's such a nod to her music. Oh, my God. It's definitely an if you know, you know type moment. Absolutely. Very entertaining, but she gets her Speak Now moment. And I I swear to God, I think that's why so many people think that Speak Now had a music video. I think two things. Number one, that. And number two, the litho of her standing up and interrupting. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, like, the image on that lithograph is in the actual, like, CD booklet as well. So if you ever flip through the lyric booklets, like, during OG Speak Now era, I know for me, Every single photo in those lyric booklets are just instilled in my brain. The one that for some reason is burned into my brain is the one from Fearless with the bubbles where she has the headband on and she's like blowing bubbles. It's burned into my brain. I don't know why. Interesting. I always think about the one where she's underwater for the breathe page. (laughs) I think we all have one. (laughs) We all have the the haunted one. From early Taylor Swift. <laughs> Early Taylor Swift was just burned into our brain. Later on in 2013, One Chance comes out, which is a movie, and Taylor's not in it, but she did write a song for it called Sweeter Than Fiction. I don't really have any feelings about Sweeter Than Fiction. I'm not going to lie. It's that's all right. Sweet, sweeter Than Fiction's forgettable. I like it. Don't get me wrong. And it was the first time that she collaborated with Jack Antonoff, which obviously led to some incredible music. Yeah. But it's forgettable. It's fine. Exciting for her. Exciting moment. It's 2013. I love that she, so basically the way that she ended up writing this song was that she wanted to release this song, be a part of the project after she saw the film. And her label told her no. Her label was like, you're in between albums. We do not want you releasing a song right now. And she said, no, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) And Sweeter Than Fiction is definitely very pop heavy. And so for people who were paying attention at the time, I feel like it was probably really clear that Taylor Swift was going to fully delve into pop. But for the most part, it was just like, oh, this is just a one-off super fun song. When no, that was a clear amuse-bouche to her leaning into pop. Absolutely. We would have lost our minds if we were active in the fandom at that time. Right. In 2014, 2014 was not just the year that she released 1989, the pop Bible. It was also the year that she was a supporting role in the movie The Giver, which is based on a book. She plays character Rosemary. The Giver is a phenomenal book, and the movie is so utterly forgettable. I'm so sorry, Taylor. That's so sad. I know. And it's not forgettable because of anything that has to do with Taylor Swift. I just think that the, the adaptation was just really weak and i don't even think that has to do with the actors either you had jeff bridges i think that brenton thwaites is a remarkably underrated actor meryl streep is in it alexander skarsgård katie holmes and yet it is utterly forgettable i'm so sorry but watch it if you want to or read the book yeah because i i know of the book i never read it unfortunately and i never watched the movie so 
she's not in it very much so let's be clear much like valentine's day i think her total amount of time in valentine's day was like 12 minutes or some dumb shit it's like that for the giver she's not if my memory serves me correctly i haven't watched the giver i think i went and saw it in theaters because i loved the book when i was a kid and i went and saw it in theaters and i left and i was like that was so bad i never want to watch that again so i haven't bummer Sorry, Taylor. Then the next year in 2015, she releases the 1989 World Tour Live, which we do have a review on titled She Was Born in 1989, a World Tour Review. It was great because it was the 1989 tour, but we talk about this pretty heavily in that episode where, uh, you know, we dive into it a little more deeply that I swear every single shot didn't last for more than like 1.3 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) The editing of this tour film is so bad like why did they make her eyes like that why did they why did they do so much basically is kind of the point and also trigger warning just right now um for eating disorders it's hard to watch in retrospect in Mm -hmm. big part because we do know that at that time she was suffering from an eating disorder and so that was something that as a Taylor Swift fan it's really hard to watch and absorb and as a 1989 stan it's I have conflicting feelings about the 1989 tour movie like she did the best that she could which was still phenomenal But the movie itself, besides her performing, when knowing how she felt based off of later documentaries where she talked about it, there are like behind the scenes clips where she makes a lot of commentary that was basically like cries for help. So take care of yourself. If you watch it and you struggle with similar things, maybe don't watch it. If you struggle with similar things actively, she isn't very nice to herself in behind the scenes comments. So overall, the tour was amazing because it was the 1989 tour, but there is that downside to it for sure. I don't know how they let that stuff fly and I don't realize yeah I mean it, it definitely was I just I think about and we, we talk about this way more in that episode so I won't rest on this very long but I think about how casual that negative self-talk commentary was in that movie and how just jarring it is for me that that was aired because even from her P, from a PR perspective the negative self-talk goes beyond just self-effacing and mm-hmm. I don't know, of all of the clips I'm sure they got, I don't know why that those were left in. So I'm excited for Taylor Swift to get to experience a 1989 era in a better place. Same. So 2016, we all know what happens to Taylor Swift. And if you did not know what happens to Taylor Swift, you can check out in the first season, we did A Rise of a Snake, part one, part two. And those are some of our best hitting episodes because we do talk about what happened in 2016, Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer, the Kimye drama. But it also happens to be the year of one of the best songs that she has released (laughs) non-album absolutely (laughs) and that's i don't want to live forever with zane for the movie 50 shades darker and isn't this her most streamed song ever technically it was i think it might have got passed by blank space blank space really yeah i think that happened recently i hope i'm not I hope I'm not talking out of my ass, but like I'm 90% sure Blank Space surpassed it. But it was like her most streamed song for a very long time. It was also the only song that she would allow on streaming for a very long time because mm. she kept stuff off streaming until 2017. But I Don't Want to Live Forever bangs. It so bangs good. so hard. It's so, so good. good. It's interesting to think like at the time the world hated her and she releases that song and everyone's like, okay, we hate her, but this song's a bop. <laughs> like that's how it felt. Absolutely. It's because I think, at least, that it came out with a very popular movie franchise at the time. And that movie franchise, despite being cringy, the Fifty Shades (laughs) trilogy or whatever, the music was so good. And this song just really fits in. It's good. You can't deny that it's good and vibey. Good and it's vibey and it's sexy. And to that note of vibey and sexy, in March of 2015, Zayn had left the band One Direction, (laughs) who I love and feel very strongly about. (laughs) And he had been releasing music that was sexy and vibey. And he had Pillow Talk 
that was out and pillow talk was sexy and then so i don't want to live forever comes out and that's sexy so he's just on the sexy train but doing it with taylor swift it kind of made her on accident accident might not be the right word but i'm gonna leave that in there into this sex icon for a moment in time a glimpse pre-reputation of wait a second maybe taylor swift can be sexy yeah and the music video too her shots are so sultry she looks so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. It really was a a taster of reputation. A little Easter egg before she even knew that it would be an Easter egg. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And speaking of reputation, in 2018, the Reputation Stadium Tour concert film is released on Netflix. And this is just so good. I wish there was more behind the scenes content. Don't get me wrong. But like, wow, this tour was filmed amazingly it's so well done and on top of that you gotta figure that the only reason there's not the behind the scenes content is because there will be no explanation there will just be <laughs> reputation oh um, absolutely <laughs> doesn't stop me from wanting the behind the scenes though always want behind the scenes hope she releases it someday the following year in 2019 there is a documentary called bluebird and it is about the famous bluebird cafe in nashville where taylor swift got her start and garth brooks has also performed there early on and so it's just you know little documentary about bluebird which we drove past but couldn't get into i know i would love to go back and actually like sit there one day me too and listen to an artist that could one day be famous And then later on in 2019, the infamous Cats movie. (laughs) I'm so glad this landed on you. Let's be clear. In our going back and forth, I was like, I hope I don't get cats. I'll talk about it, though, with you. Uh, So Taylor plays Bombalarina. (laughs) I watched this interview of her a while back where she's kind of talking about Cats, the movie. and. Based on this interview, it doesn't seem like she, even she was taking this movie seriously. This movie flopped, in case you weren't aware. I haven't even watched it, but sure, if I have heard, okay? It's a laughing stock, even in the Swifty community, despite Taylor Swift being in it. But I was watching this interview, right? And Taylor's like, yeah, you know, I would have to take, like, cat classes where we crawled around and you know really became attuned to our inner cat and like learned cat-like mannerisms and I could just take the cat class all day every day they just crawl around and pretend to be cats that was her highlight so that everybody knows because I don't know how many people listening right now have seen cats and I know you haven't so (laughs) cats was the highest grossing musical on Broadway ever for a very long time. Phantom of the Opera took it over a while back, but for a very long time, Cats was just that bitch in Broadway. And the general, (laughs) I I don't know how to describe it without using their crazy words, but the general plot of Cats is that there's all these cats and they're trying to figure out which among them gets to go to their version of heaven or whatever. It's, It's really bizarre. And there's not really a climax. It's, just kind of this very weird tale of these cats. And I have a hard time believing that Taylor Swift saw that musical or read the screenplay and was like, wow, this is just life changing. Even though it was the highest grossing musical on Broadway for a very long time. I have to imagine that Olivia is right. And she's just like, ah, cats. I love cats. <laughs> and this is in the middle of the lover era where like things are like pastel, goofy, fun. Like I think it fits the era, honestly. she releases two songs from cats and one of them is an original beautiful ghosts and the other is mccavity which is a song about the only real villain like character in the show but mccavity's not original mccavity mccavity it's silly but it gets memed the hell out of and frankly it's deserved it's not taylor's fault absolutely worst surprise song pick (laughs) you walk out there you, you're getting Three Sad Virgins and McCavity. Okay, but I could bop to Three Sad Virgins. <laughs> I could also bop to Three Sad Virgins. The next year, 2020, and we get a documentary, Miss Americana. I wish we had more documentaries. I love Taylor Swift documentaries. Me too. And I think that Miss Americana is a really good documentary, but we've said before, and we should really do coverage on Miss Americana at some point on an episode. I'm sure we will. Miss Americana 
is exactly what Taylor Swift wants us to see of her. And that is it. I love Miss Americana. And I think that it gives us some wonderful insight. And I don't think that any of it is fake or staged. I do think that it is the trailer into Taylor Swift's life that she wanted people to see when she was trying to re-earn the love of the people. Yeah, it was very, very careful. And she did release a song with the documentary, Only the Young, which I have a silly, quick little story about Only the Young. When my friend Andre and I went to the Chicago Eras tour, we ended up tailgating um, with some people and the teenage daughters were big fans. And the parents were also there, like actually tailgating. The teenage daughters were, you know, wanting to walk around and trade friendship bracelets and socialize and not hang out with their parents right and so me and my friend were hanging out with the parents they were so cool <laughs> and the only song that one of the dads could name was only the young <laughs> and I was like yeah that isn't like a super you know like popular like favorite and he was shocked he's like only the young is so good what why isn't it a favorite <laughs> only the young for those who aren't kind of familiar with the general consensus gets a lot of negative feedback from Swifties and I understand why but I really like Only the Young. I I personally really like it. I understand why people don't. It has very strong political overtones which isn't a bad thing at all but I understand that kind of has a misalignment in some ways with Miss Americana because Miss Americana is like political commentary mixed in with being a documentary and it's a really weird vibe. I love it. But to somebody who's not a big Taylor Swift fan, it's definitely a weird vibe. And if you only listen to Only the Young without the background of Taylor Swift's political ideology throughout time, it's just kind of like, this is a a weirdly happy song that also has to do with trigger warning school shootings. Yep. Later that year, she also releases Taylor Swift, City of Lover, which... It's so cute because she does this live concert in Paris, which is the notorious city of love. And it was held in September of 2019. And people got tickets to this show at this small 2,000-person theater by, you know, a random random ticket drawing from buying merch and albums and stuff. I can't imagine. She just sold out a whole stadium tour, and she invites 2,000 people to come see the City of Lover show. And it's amazing. It is an amazing concert. The biggest criticism that I've seen of it is that rather than the set list of the City of Lover being the Lover album, it's half Lover songs and half her biggest hits. Weird decision for City of Lover, but it's still beautiful, still available on streaming. And I will never, never forgive Taylor Nation for not overstocking the heart-shaped vinyls. Yeah, it went back in stock for... Um, I forget which international store it went back in stock for like two minutes for an international store. And that's all I've heard since the day it was released. The live in Paris lover tracks were released on a heart-shaped vinyl. And for those of you who are so blessed to not know this information and you don't cry about it every day like me, <laughs> we didn't get it. If you can't tell, we we did not get the heart-shaped vinyls, unfortunately. Later on in 2020, Folklore, the Long Pond Studio Sessions releases on Disney+, Plus, which is just immaculate vibes. It's basically like a mini documentary about folklore. She performs folklore for the first time in person with her collaborators because they created the album Long Distance because this is in the middle of, you know, the height of COVID in 2020. And it's just beautiful. So the next thing chronologically would be the All Too Well short film, which she stars in and also directed. But because it serves as both a short film and also a music video, once we finish this part of this timeline, we're going to do a very quick timeline through the music video she has directed because obviously she's starred in all of them. So (laughs) we're going to talk about that one here in a minute. And we're going to move on to her next project. In 2022, Where the Crawdads Sing also came out. Taylor was not in this one, but she did write an original song for it, which is beautiful. It's called Carolina. And I love like the story behind Carolina because Taylor Swift loves the book. This movie is based off of a book. And it's one of her favorites, according to sources that I've read. She got so excited when she heard that it was being turned into a movie that she wrote the song, recorded the song, and then submitted it to be a part of the movie. <laughs> she wasn't asked. She just did it. 
So this movie takes place between flashbacks in the 1950s and 60s. And Taylor made sure in this song to use instruments that existed during that time. And she made sure to record it like songs were actually recorded during this time, which was in one full take. If you listen to Carolina, she didn't like cut and stitch different takes together. It's her singing all the way through as one take, which is just crazy. It's incredible. I don't think that Carolina really goes anywhere. Like there's not really a climax to the song. And so I understand why it wouldn't be somebody's favorite. I do think that the lore behind it, as with most things Taylor Swift related, makes it that much more interesting and that much more likable. I love Carolina. I'm a Carolina fan. It really shows off her lower register. And I love when she gets an opportunity to show off her range. And the movie's good too. I like the book. I didn't love the book the way everybody else loved the book. Mm-hmm. that's probably just me. Yeah, I wasn't really interested in the book until Taylor released a song for the movie. <laughs> did you read the book? the book? I did not. I own it. Um, I haven't watched the movie because I don't want to watch it without reading the book. <laughs> Fair. I mean, the so, movie's great. It's literally on my bookshelf. It's the, the movie is great. I think that the book is good. I think that the book has a really slow start. So you just got to get through that slow start. And for the love of God, do not listen to the audiobook. I'm not trying to bully the audiobook person. I can't imagine how hard it is to record an audiobook. But the way that she pronounced the lead person's name, Kaya, just drove me nuts. Just drove me nuts. Don't listen <laughs> you know, to the some people are audiobook girlies. Other people like me and you, Danny, we're not audiobook girlies. And it just, it's just like that. It's just like that. I've tried, but... It's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. Literally, we host a podcast. I am certain that there are words that I say that our listeners, that you're listening to right now, dear listener, that you're like, man, I hate the way that Danny pronounces that word. And that is your prerogative. When I'm listening to an audiobook, if there's like a character that pops up quite a bit and I cannot stand mm-hmm. the way that their name is pronounced or the, just the way that the audiobook reader says it, it's not their fault. They're not doing anything wrong. Their job is not to please me. Their job is to read the book. And if I can't get past it, that is my own cross to bear, okay? Yeah. And like, it's fair if that takes you out of the story. Some people are able to listen to audiobooks and create their own narrative on top of the audiobook reader's voice. I'm not one of those people. I'm very sensitive to how different characters are voiced by one person. So I can't, I can't do audiobooks. If it's like Jake comes into the room and says, what's up, ladies? I can't take this seriously. I can't either. So I feel you. I feel you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We tangented, but I wonder if any of our readers or listeners can relate. Later that year last year on october 7th 2022 the movie amsterdam comes out amsterdam was directed by david o russell and was highly anticipated because this is like a mystery comedy movie that had a lot of hype built around it and uh well it was a box office bomb its budget was 80 million dollars and it made like 31 million and it got negative reviews people did not like this movie however taylor swift does appear in this film and she appears Like, her whole thing is in, like, the first half hour of the movie, if I remember correctly. Again, this was a one-time watch for Danny. (laughs) I feel like I don't want to spoil anything, but I have to. So skip forward 60 seconds if you don't want to spoil her. It's so funny because she plays a character that is really worried about her family being targeted. And she gets pushed into the street and run over by a car when she looks for help about it. And, like, listen, vehicular manslaughter objectively not funny the (laughs) thought that taylor swift was like i want to play that role and got pushed into this it's so dramatic and she gets run over and when the clip cuts right when she gets pancaked it's the one of the funniest memes it's one of the funniest memes yeah i've seen the clip (laughs) i haven't watched the movie people say like taylor swift played daylight tonight and then it's just the clip of her getting pushed in front of the car relatable though (laughs) and her acting is fine she does in fact she's in the movie for the good parts not just because it was taylor swift like the first half hour of the movie is good and then it just like gets bad so fast so she's in it for all the good part anyway so funny and then last but not least and certainly not truly last you know last for this point in time october 11th on october 13th in two days the eras tour concert film is going to premiere in theater 
So before we hop into the music video stuff, I want to ask you, Olivia, we know that the movie is less time than how long her actual show is. What do you think it's going to be in order to make it that time cut? Well, haven't we been told that not a single song is cut, right? But it's, it's significantly shorter, like a half hour shorter. I bet you that the countdown isn't a part of it. I bet you that the transitions aren't going to be a part of it unless, you know, it's for dramatic effects. Like, I don't know how she would do reputation without the reputation, like transition, but I can see the fearless transition, the speak now transition being cut and cutting audience cheer times there's no way that like the champagne problems cheer is going to make it any way that it's like realistic for real life which it's so hard to predict between you and me i feel like because this is the first taylor swift show that we've ever seen in person so i bet you people who went to like rep tour would have a better idea of what the reputation stadium tour felt like in person versus what was produced into a movie I'm eager to see it. I'm eager to see what all she delves into. And my hope is that this isn't all that we get. I'm hopeful that we get to see the movie and that there's also a documentary, which I think that there will be. I just, I hope that we get to see the full body of work surrounding the Eras tour because it's so much more than what we see on stage during those three plus hours. It's everything that goes into it behind the scenes. And I want to see a full 20 part Disney plus series about it. Yeah. I want to see her running around frantically backstage for her like costume changes and everything like that. Yeah. I want the whole shebang. I want to see the clips of her diving into the stage. I want everything feed me. I have a theory that she is working on a documentary, but it's about her re-recording experience. And it's going to kind of span throughout her entire re-recording project. And like Aristotle will have to be like included because it's being released or lots of her re-recordings are being released during the Eras tour. So I can see that. I think that it's a stroke of genius for her to release this movie now. And we actually talked a few episodes ago, a few months ago, whatever, I don't know, about the odds of her releasing something that had to do with the tour before the tour was over and how we were hopeful but not necessarily optimistic about something being released before the international dates were coming. And we got proven wrong or right. I don't know. We were kind of in between about how she was going to handle this by releasing something. And I think that's great since so many people couldn't actually snag tickets to go see the tour. They get to go see the movie and feel like they're a part of it. And it'll feel almost Rocky Horror Picture-like. People are going to dress up and they're going to show up and treat it like it's a concert. And I think that's amazing. And I've been asked on a personal level how people should approach this film. Like, should they sing? Should they dance? Whatever. And here's what I'll say. Taylor Nation and Taylor Swift have encouraged singing and dancing and treating this like a Rocky Horror show. If you've never been to a Rocky Horror Picture show or you've never been to one of these interactive type concert film movie things, the general rule is you experience it all the way up until you impede on somebody else's experience. So if you're listening to this and you don't know how to handle it, yeah, dress up how you want to dress up as long as it just like at concerts doesn't impede with other people's seats in front of you, around you, behind you. And sing and dance because that's encouraged but remember that other people are also there with a paid experience so while in a traditional sense you might scream the bridge to cruel summer when you're at the actual concert because nobody around you can really hear you screaming it because it's such a loud show maybe don't do that in the movie theater because the audio will not be loud enough it will not permeate it will not supersede your voice so just you know Be aware of the people around you and their experience, but also feel free to have a good time. This is intended to be an interactive show. Absolutely. And I feel like it's really important to, you know, tap into our social skills and read the room, literally. Read the auditorium vibes. If you're the only person that wants to get up and sing and dance and everyone else wants to sit down and just enjoy and not sing and dance, don't be that person. If everyone else around you seems to be into it, absolutely right that vibe but just be respectful of the people around you you can see it infinitely many times at home once it's available to streaming for you to scream your your little heart out during the cruel summer bridge just be very aware that you're in a public space that isn't traditionally like a concert venue and also remember there's like shows going on around you as well and those movie theater walls are not particularly thick i did hear oppenheimer bombs during barbie so keep that in mind (laughs) Just tap into real Barbenheimer. So just tap into those social skills. And we're not directing this towards, this isn't like a 
a targeted thing. This is a general, it's really easy to let loose and become crazy, for lack of a better term, when it comes to Taylor Swift. It's important to have a collective experience with people around you. Yeah. To be very clear, I want to sing and dance, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it if, you know, I'm making other people's experiences awful. So now we're going to take a quick detour and we're going to talk about the music videos that Taylor Swift has directed in full or in part. And these go all the way back to the Speak Now era. On August 30th, 2010, Taylor Swift co-directed the Mine music video with Roman White. And Roman White had previously directed You Belong With Me and 15, those videos. And so it's really exciting that she got to team up with him to work on this music video. But it would be a long time until she jumped into doing that again for whatever reason. I don't know why she decided to do some directing work with mine and then was like, "Mm, I guess that's not my vibe. And she didn't do it again for many years. So the next music video that she co-directed was Me, which was released April 26, 2019. And she co-directed with Dave Myers. So she waited until Lover, basically, to kind of get her toes wet a little bit. Listen, I, you're a me apologist, and I don't love me. The music video is a lot of fun, though. Just yeah. so we come! <laughs> Our French listeners are going to butcher me for that (laughs) That pronunciation. (laughs) It's fine. Everything's fine. But keeping in the lover era, she ended up co-directing the You Need to Calm Down music video, which ended up winning a VMA, I think, for video of the year. That came out on June 17th, 2019. She co-directed it with Drew Kirsch. In a behind-the-scenes video, she said, quote, it's this whole metaphor, the symbolism of there's this flaming toxicity that sets my trailer on fire, but I don't even notice because, you know, it's happy hour in a pool. What a vibe. What a vibe. We'll break down that music video at some point, but it was iconic at the time. And even more iconic, up next is the Lover music video released August 22nd, 2019, also co-directed with Drew Kirsch. And she said, quote, I think the fishbowl scene is my favorite metaphor in the Lover video. I've performed on stage with Owen for years. He's unbelievably talented, and it was so amazing to have him in the Lover music video. So for those who don't know, Owen, who was one of her Eras Tour openers, danced with her on the Reputation Stadium tour. He was the, you know, famous King of My Heart role for the King of My Heart performance. He was also the love interest in the Lover music video. And I think this music video is like a turning point for Swifties because she established the famous Lover house that has rooms for all of her eras and we ended up being able to like assign rooms to folklore and evermore later on and this lover house is used to represent her discography over and over and over and over again i think it's the first time where we see her fully recognize all of her eras as one unit and mm-hmm. we've said this before but i'm gonna stamp it right here in this episode i fully believe that her concept is to have her eras kind of grouped and i mean that in a whenever ts11 comes i think that all of her past albums will have been re-recorded and the albums one through ten are supposed to be like one unit and then she will move forward and 11 through 20, which I think we'll get over the next 10, 15 years, which is crazy, will be their own units. This is the first time we see her fully recognize that as, them as a unit. I agree with that theory. I think that Midnight's was a reflection on all of her past up to this point, And it's the perfect era to do the re-recordings. And I feel like TS11 is going to be like a fresh page forward. A fresh page on the desk. Yep. <laughs> so the next music video that she directed was her full directorial debut where she did not have a co-director. The important part about this, well, I mean, I guess the notes about her, it came out February 27th, 2020, and it was The Man. And she had this entire idea in her head about being turned into a prosthetic man, and she wanted to find a female director to direct it. She says, fortunately, all of the women that she wanted to work with were booked. And she said, fortunately, because we want our women to be booked and busy. That's what we want. But she's like, well, crap, what do I do? Well, I guess I'll just direct it. She also said about it, quote, it was a vulnerable moment where you're sort of on the precipice of finding something new and you're just really hoping you do everything perfectly. It is also important to remind yourself you shouldn't do everything perfectly because you need to learn and grow. I really like the man music video. Me too. I love showing it to people and people not realizing that it's her in prosthetics until the end. <laughs> we like, what the hell? 
The next music video that she directed was Cardigan, released July 24th, 2020. And I feel like this was such kind of a turn point for her in a way because she faced challenges that she never would have faced otherwise. This is her first like socially distanced director project. And I think it was beautiful. It's an excellent music video. She likes to refer to this time as the sourdough period of quarantine when everyone was making their own bread. <laughs> the next music video she directed, again, this is solo, all of this at this point. December 11th, 2020, we get the Willow music video in Evermore. There's not much to say about that one, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's a literal extension of the Cardigan music video. It starts in the same place that Cardigan ended, which I think is really cool. And at this point, I'm kind of getting the vibe where she's like, oh, shit, I like directing. And I almost have this theory at this point, before we jump into the big beast of the All Too Well video, I almost have this theory at this point that she dabbled into directing with mine and was like, that is not for me. Now, she does end up saying in an interview later, I don't remember if it was the Toronto Film Festival or in the Directors on Directors, where she said that she felt like she needed to earn her place in being a director, that she needed the experience. Tell me it. So I have it written down because I, it kind of explains how she got into it and how she felt getting into it. She was asked if she always wanted to direct. And she said, no, not really. I always wanted to tell stories. I have always written stories, poetry, songs. I think this being directing just kind of grew out of a natural extension of that storytelling. And I don't think I ever necessarily thought that that would be something I would sort of be allowed to do until I actually had enough experience to say, hey, you know what? I want to step out and do this thing on my own and see what it's like. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. When I did direct, I just thought this is actually more fulfilling than I ever could have imagined. I I think that it was a combo of being more interested when she was 20 in focusing on her music primarily. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, she's (laughs) got all of this talent and all this experience. She might as well direct her own stuff if she's got the time or the concept in her head. Absolutely. Which speaking of concept in her head, we have an entire episode about this. So go listen to that episode for more breakdown. But all too well, the short film, we have the analysis way back in season one. And that was released on November 12th, 2021. There is no co-director. Again, we we talk about this in so much detail in another episode. Mm-hmm. But Taylor had this idea for this music video, I fully believe, based on real life experiences that happened to her. That's what she said. Yeah. And the directors on directors interview, she literally said that what she directed and how she directed Sadie and Dylan, the stars in this short film, is exactly reflective of what she was going through when she wrote All Too Well. So this is autobiographical. And she also starred in this music video in a non-traditional way, where the primary stars are Dylan O'Brien and Sadie Sink, and later she plays a grown-up version of Sadie Sink. It is so well done. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen the music video probably a hundred times. But Mm -hmm. the way that the cutscene in the middle, the fight, was a one-take... A one take. She just let them go off. And she was freaking out because she's like, oh, my God, they're so good. But I can't make any noise. I can't mess this up. It's just it's so well directed. It's almost like she just told them to actually fall for each other and actually break up. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) Her direction is remarkable and it will devastate me forever. She was on the Oscars track for this film and she ended up getting dropped before nominations came out. Devastated that it didn't get nominated in the short film category. I know. Fortunately, though, it did win some pretty reputable awards. It won VMA's Video of the Year. It won Grammy's Best Music Video. So it got recognition in like the music side of the industry, as it should, quite frankly. As it should. When talking about the music video, she said, I would have had a really hard time performing it at the time. Talking about All Too Well, of course. She said this at the Toronto International Film Festival. Quote, I needed 10 years of retrospect in order to know what I would even make to tell a version of that story visually. Yeah, she talked in the Directors on Directors about how there's no way when Red came out, she would have been able to make a music video for this song. Yeah, heartbreak is such a bizarre thing. And we talk a lot about her and Jake Jill and Hall, not Jiggle Hips. 
Gyllenhaal in our The Muses Jake Gyllenhaal episode, of course. And it's hard to wrap your head around how hard she fell for Jake Gyllenhaal. I think unless you watch this music video and picture that it's actually those two. Because that kind of heartbreak, I think, only really happens once. And that was her big bad. That was the one that broke her heart so badly that it could never be broken like that again. And I believe that. Think about every breakup life. she's had since then. Think about what should have been the most devastating breakup ever, her and Joe Alwyn after six plus years. And we don't know a whole lot about that. We'll get to that at no, some yeah, point. We don't know how she exactly feels about that yet. <laughs> we don't. But what I can infer, I think, and again, age make, makes a big play in this, and I could totally be wrong. So keep in mind, this is totally me speculating when you see photos of her out pre-red era like post Hall breakup she looks sad she looks heartbroken and you see her now and maybe she's just better at covering it up i don't know seen her since april and she is <laughs> she's fine i mean sure she's probably bummed it didn't work out but she is she's bejeweled See, my my thought is that she's just better at hiding it. She's better at playing her celebrity persona than she was at 20. <laughs> hey, either of us could be right. I yeah, hope, we'll find out on the next album. <laughs> I hope for her sake. I hope for her sake she's just like, fine, I'm better off without you now and not sad about it. But she could also be sad girl because she is definitely a hopeless romantic. I mean you're losing me was a devastating song there's no a happy person that's happy the relationship ended doesn't write that do you believe that you can feel simultaneously relieved that the relationship is over and also sad about it being over yeah but i didn't get relief from that song (laughs) (laughs) i do i do because of the line at the beginning the i'm getting tired even for a phoenix always rising from the ashes like the vibe that i am getting is she's like this is exhausting i'm tired of going through this the preference would be that he's not putting me through this but there's a tinge of relief there of at least i don't have to be put through this anymore like i'm Begging I think it's for an you. undertone. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I just, I hope she's okay. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I have a hard time looking at Taylor Swift's life and not putting myself on it, right? And, you know, when I was a teenager and boys would break up with me, I would show up to school looking awful because I felt awful. But, like, you know, my most recent, like, adult breakups, I was all over social media being the best me I was going out all the time to show off how over I was whereas I wanted to be sad girl and pitied when I was a teenager oh my god you're you're so much better than me my last adult breakup I think I was posting like screenshots of songs that I was listening to that broke my heart (laughs) on my Instagram story and I wasn't like 19 I was fully in my 20s (laughs) Jesus god I'm so dramatic I just, I guess I'm not good at hiding it, so I can't imagine that she's good at hiding it. It's us putting ourselves on Taylor once again. Literally. <laughs> you want to move on? Anywho. <laughs> Her next self-directed music video is Antihero, which just recently swept the VMAs. <laughs> One video of the year, best direction, all kinds of good stuff. I mean, no, she's so proud of this music video. She, she is definitely really proud of this music video and the clips of her, like, directing it from behind the scenes. She had a vision. She had a vision and the cutscene in the middle is so funny. And I'm just, I'm so proud of her. It was a good intro to the Midnight's era. Speaking of the Midnight's era, the next one that she directed came out on October 26, 2022, solo direction, and that was Bejeweled. Bejeweled is a lot of fun as a music video. It definitely was Easter egg filled, nodding specifically to Speak Now being next in 1989 coming after that. It was basically just one giant Easter egg, but it's a really fun music video. It's iconic too. The the bejeweled bodysuit is literally a Taylor Swift outfit to go down in history. Mm-hmm. The next music video that she directed was Lavender Haze, which there's a cute little behind the scenes video on her YouTube if you haven't seen it. I watched it for the first time tonight. And she's literally starring in her music videos at this point, right? And being the sole director. So she's like, you know, acting, singing along to the music, and then she'll randomly be like, cut. <laughs> and then she also directed Karma. Which came out for her karma featuring Ice Spice, both her and Ice Spice star in this music video. And she finally up to date as of today, right now, October 11th, 2023, for anyone listening in the future. She also directed I Can See You. And 
me and Danny were at the Eras show where she did the premiere for I Can See You. So she kind of chatted with us a little bit before that. And she basically told us that she has had the vision for the I Can See You music video for years. Basically, ever since she started re-recording, she wanted to make a music video that really captured what it felt like for her to be re-recording her past work. So despite I Can See You being like a little sexy, horny teenager song, the music video itself is about her reclaiming her old work. She got Joey King, Presley Cash, Taylor Lautner to star in this music video. And she was just ecstatic that they agreed. She always acts surprised that she calls these actors and is like, hey, do you want to be in a music video for me? And they say yes. Like, why is she surprised? We also break down that entire music video in our season finale from season two. Technically season finale. We did did release a couple after that, but go look at our I Can See breakdown. Kind of the last thing we want to talk about before we wrap up here, a couple of things. Number one, she had a couple of really major interviews, which I highly encourage you to go watch, from last year, where she talked to the CEO of the Toronto International Film Festival for a while regarding the All Too Well music video, and also the Directors on Directors interview that came out in December. In the Toronto International Film Festival interview, I'm going to call it TIFF, it's too much of a mouthful. In the TIFF interview, she talks about her inspiration. And movies have always played a really big part in the inspiration for her music. Like when writing 1989, she was actively watching John Hughes' 1980s movies, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, anything Molly Ringwald, basically. Then you see her much later folklore watching Guillermo del Toro movies and getting wrapped up in these fake stories. I mean, they're stories, right? Uh, so that she can build her own unreal magical narratives. That's been something that's been a staple throughout her career is focusing on certain types of movies to create art. And then later in her Directors on Directors interview, this is the same day that Variety breaks the news that Searchlight Pictures, which is not a small indie company, by the way, they most recently had this big hit with the menu. They've released The Shape of Water, one of Taylor Swift's favorite movies, even though I don't get it. She's going to be a director. We don't know anything about the movie. That's all very kept under wraps. I want to know what you think her directorial debut is going to be about. What's the movie? Keep in mind, as I say this, a lot of people are speculating, and it's important to know she is not a writer, all right? And also the Writers Guild of America, don't cross the picket line. Don't be a scab. They are on strike anyway. So we won't have anything for a while, I'm sure. But she's not a writer. She's not a screenplay writer. She does not do that stuff. She is a director, so she is given content, and she interprets it. So what content? Could she have been thought of as the person to accurately portray and direct the story? This is such a great question because my brain cannot comprehend Taylor working on a project that she didn't create, you know? Right. What? (laughs) I have to think that Searchlight, the executive at Searchlight saw her TIFF interview and she's so well-spoken, so articulate, one of the best interviews she's ever given and one of the best interviewers, frankly, ever. I think that they saw that interview and they were like, oh, my God, this woman has so much insight, is so introspective and decided that she deserved her day in the sun as a full feature film director. And I am so eager to see what it is. What could they have thought of her when they got a screenplay in front of them where they're like, she's that girl. For real. Has to be something, has to be something with romance involved, right? She has an yeah. eye for that shit. Or, like, a dramatic coming of age or something. Something that, like, they felt like she could relate to to then direct properly. I've said this before, but I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. It is a lot harder to act in comedy than it is to act in serious stuff. And I think I got that line from Vince Gilligan, who is the director of Breaking Bad and therefore Better Call Saul. And he said that about casting Brian Cranston as Walter Wright. And this all ties back to this story by saying that I think that if Taylor Swift is chosen to direct a feature film for the first time, much like acting, it's important to note that it's easier to do something serious and romantic and dramatic than it is to do something comedic. So I think you're right. I think it's going to be something romantic and a little bit more serious because this is her first feature-length film. And despite her being an icon and being remarkably talented, I think that they'll want to play it more safe and do something a little on the serious side. Yeah. And then maybe dive into comedy, because if she can, you know, prove that she can do something dramatic, then maybe move into comedy. But starting with comedy is a big ask. I can see her, too, for her first, like, director debut, wanting it to be a serious drama, to be taken seriously and not just seen as silly goofy. I love romantic comedies. I really do. I think that the hate for them is entirely rooted in sexism. 
I don't want it to be a romantic comedy because I think that she'll be pigeonholed. Absolutely. My brain can't fathom this idea. Mm -hmm. I do think that one day, years down the line, when she decides she doesn't want to be a musical performer anymore, she might lean more movie director and have that be her creative outlet when she wants to step out of the limelight a little bit. Hope she gets that EGOT soon. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Woo! Well, that's pretty much our director chat. I'm so proud of her. Me too. She's so talented. Just a creative juggernaut. And I cannot wait for the heiress tour in two days. <laughs> what did you Tay learn this week? I Tay learned that Jump in Fall was featured on the soundtrack of Valentine's Day. I literally did not know this information. Jump in Fall was one of my OG fearless favorites. It's not like a current day favorite, but back in the day, it was a favorite. I didn't know that either. But for the sake of us having different answers, I did not know that she recorded Carolina all in one take. Is that wild? Yes. I knew that she used like all of the instruments that were available at the time, but I actually didn't know that she did it in one take. That's crazy. And she wanted it to be true to the time period. That's such a Taylor thing. There's just so much Taylor Swift content to know, which is what this podcast is here for. So much. That even super fans like us still get shocked by content that even was released as recently as we've been super fans. Carolina was released when this podcast existed, and I still didn't know that. There's just too much. The reason why Tay Learning exists is one, we wanted to have a project because we're long distance friends. Two, I know I wanted to learn more about Taylor Swift and us deciding on a topic caused us to research things and learn a lot about Taylor Swift. We started this podcast to teach our friends why we're obsessed and to call in new Swifties to the fandom and kind of give you guys like a base, build your Swifty knowledge and love on. So part of it is so we can learn too, which is so exciting when we do. Olivia, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we are so excited. We're bringing back the draft episodes for 1989 in anticipation of 1989 Taylor's version. I'm so excited. People have been loving those draft episodes and I love them because they are lighthearted and also because they're <laughs> they're kind of emotional for me for some reason, even though they're inconsequential. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you guys a chance to like establish some healthy rivalry between me and Danny. You get to decide who won the draft. <laughs> I'm 0-2. I am 0-2. <laughs> Better watch out, Danny. <laughs> 1989 is my album, man. If you lose 1989, they'll be sad. You can always go to our website, crazy, for more information. HeyLearningPodcast.com. You can send us an email, taylearningpodcast at gmail.com. This is your second to final reminder. We are looking for misheard lyrics for our misheard lyrics episode. We have received so many from y'all. Y'all would be surprised. You're not alone in a lot of these lyrics that you've misheard. You have a lot weirdest misheards. Weirdest misheards. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, you have a lot in common with one another. I want something weird. Send us the not weird ones too, but send us the weirdest ones, the ones that still to this day you're embarrassed to tell people. We want to tell people for you. Send that to us, taylearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on Instagram and TikTok. Podcast is our handle on there, and we are on Twitter, semi-active now, at taylearning. <sighs> I can't look for back. I'm so happy. Season three, baby. Let's go, let's go! As always, thanks for listening. We love you guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for wanting to let us talk. We'll see you uh, next week. See you next week! Release the butthole cut. Release the butthole cut of cats. Uh. I want to see cat buttholes.